Good morning. Wonderful blessing to see you all here this morning. What a beautiful day it is. You guys really enjoy this season, springtime, hay fever time. I love it. Um, lately, I've I've really enjoyed the blessing of being able to smell spring. I haven't been able to do that for a lot of years, but it's been uh, it's been good with modern medication. Now I can smell spring. I really like it. But I uh, still get the sniffles every now and again. Anyway, um, let's, let's open a word of prayer. We'll get into our study of the book of Romans as we've been going through. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you for your loving mercy and your grace. A grace, dear Lord, that we can't even begin to comprehend. A grace that brings us from death to life. And a grace that, dear Lord, continues to work within our members that we might rejoice in the salvation that we have and that we share, that we might with hope share this joy and this glorious hope with others, dear Lord, that are around us. I ask you, dear Father, that uh, as we study this incredible book, that you would open our minds and that your grace, dear Father, would open our hearts, that we would be able to truly rejoice, Father, in the words that you've given us. I ask, dear Lord, that you would bring these words home, that your spirit would carry it into the hearts of my brothers and sisters and even those that don't know you, dear Lord. I pray, dear Father, that you would work um, in your word, dear Lord, that indeed it won't return back to you empty at all. And I pray, Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you would also give me wisdom and discernment, dear Lord, as I preach the word of God, to hold back the things that are not of you, Father, and to only praise and to glorify your name through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, last, last week, um, when I set myself to, to preach on 11 verses, and only managed to get the first half of the first verse in, um, I, I'm not... Um, um, how could I say it? Not... Uh, yeah, there you go. I'm not lost for words. No. The book of Romans is an incredible book. I don't know if you've realised this by now. I mean, there's, you know, um, um, there was one gentleman who wrote three, three volumes, three fairly thick volumes on the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is only 16 chapters. Uh, there's a, another volume of commentary of 10 volumes of, of books um, on the book of Romans. And I got excited when I realised that Thomas Manton, who was a favourite of Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon loved the preaching of Thomas Manton. He has 47 sermons on chapter 8 alone. 47 sermons on chapter 8 alone. So I feel a little bit better now. I feel a little bit better, so that's good. So his, his average was, um, was a little bit less than one verse per sermon. We're going to go through four today, so I'm not going to be... Not going to be Trying to break it down that, uh, that 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 small, but we need to make a start on the uh, the second half of the first verse, which is where we um, where we finished off last time. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Book of Romans, Book of Romans, and Chapter Eight. And we'll just take it from the first four verses. The text says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. You're going to be having your fingers planted in three books today. They are going to be the book of Romans, Galatians and Hebrews. They are the three texts that I'm going to be using for the majority of the time here and I'm going to be asking you to turn to those particular passages. There's five particular points that I wanted to bring out uh, for this morning. The first one is that the law of the spirit of life is evidential in man. It's evidential in man. The law of the spirit of life emancipates man. It liberates man. It also satiates God. In other words, it's, it satisfies God's requirement. And the last point is that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled. So, we completed the first half of the first verse. Um, so I don't have to go back to that again. All right, But enough to say this, that the text speaks here in the first verse of there being no condemnation to some. To some, not all, but some. Those some and only those some that are in Christ Jesus now. Um, and you who have not the Son of God now remain condemned. They do remain condemned. They remain in their sin. They stand and the wrath of God still abides upon their lives, upon their souls even at this time. Um, they, they actually store up for themselves, according to Romans chapter 2, wrath. Against the day of wrath. Every day that goes by, they are storing up wrath against that day. Now, we don't know if or who in this congregation remains in their sin. Um, but there are sure to be some preferring rather to, to, to risk the Lord's judgment uh, upon their lives due to their own stubborn heart of unbelief. Rather than accept that ransom that was given to us. Jesus became a ransom for us. There's aspects of this that we can't understand, that we don't know how this happens. We don't know how this comes together. But that's what the Bible teaches us, that Jesus Christ became a ransom for our sins. And when we remain in unbelief of that, then that condemnation that the Bible speaks about abides upon us. The Bible teaches that there's certain that there's many who even now profess Christ as Saviour, but who the Lord will examine in that day to be without Him. This no condemnation text doesn't refer to either them who believe themselves to be saved, who are not saved, or them who still remain in their sin, obstinate. Okay, as it's stated in, in 1 John 5.12, he says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So there is those two. When it speaks about there being no condemnation, it's not obviously to all of us. It's only to those who are in Christ <coughs> Jesus. The next part of it, the next part of the, that, that verse, where it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, is evidential. Okay, That's the portion of the text that's evidential. It's the characteristics of those who are in Christ Jesus. It's understood by that second part. 
It's descriptive. It's descriptive. It's not conditional. Do you understand? There's a lot of people that have used that text and tried to build from that text that this no condemnation is conditional upon them to continue to walk in the Spirit. That's not what the text is saying. It's descriptive of those who are in the Spirit. Those who teach this verse to be that condition on which salvation is to be retained are in grave error. They, they deny the value of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and they completely distort the context of what we're looking at in this passage. And the fact of the matter is the Bible says in Galatians 2.21, it says, For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So it can't be speaking about a condition of our salvation or retaining that salvation. Okay. On that, it's only for those whose belonging is to the flesh, a desire that which the flesh desires. Have a look at verse 5. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The other idea is that the only way to walk after the Spirit is to have the Spirit of God in you. Have a look in the same area in, in, in verse 9. The first part of it, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. And the third part of that is that if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you aren't His. That's the second part of that same verse, verse 9. It says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. So the Lord repeated this phrase here in verse 4. Um, you know there's that argument that because in verse 4 we've got a repetition of what happened in verse 1. Those who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. There's a lot of people that deny that that verse should be there because it's repeated in verse 4. But that's not an argument. It's not an argument as against its inclusion in verse 1. It says rather than an argument, it's, an, it's the importance of understanding God's emphasis. The context of verses 4 to 9 clarified it for us. Um, I was reading this morning as I was reading my, just my normal devotions and, and it was interesting because I came across... 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and you know how you know, people are arguing that point that that verse doesn't belong there because it's repeated somewhere. And just because it's repeated in the same chapter, maybe it shouldn't be included over there. But it was incredible because as I was mulling over that and I'm reading this just in, in our normal reading, um, in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, And lest I should be... This is in the one verse. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Did you notice anything similar? Exactly what he said at the beginning. He said right at the end of the verse. It's in the same verse. He repeats himself. Now, I went through a string of commentaries. Do you know there's not a single commentary that actually says that that shouldn't be there? Not a single one. So this idea of repetition is not, is not something that actually takes away what God's actually said in that text. Those who do not have the Spirit of God cannot walk in the Spirit. Let's see if there's another, another important idea that links to the passage. Remember, part of how God speaks in Scripture is repetitive. He repeats things. Um, the Bible teaches that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, all will be established. 
God seems to do that a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that. We've got four Gospels. Three of those Gospels are known as synoptic Gospels. In other words, they're very, very similar. They seem to repeat some of the things that are in others, but they, they not just repeat it, they elaborate on it. They help explain some of the other things that are there. So if we've got this particular text here, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, you'd think that if that's true, that there may be, maybe there's another part in the Bible that actually repeats a similar idea. Fair enough? That's something I want to be looking for because we've got a distinction. Walking not after the flesh but after the spirit. Yes, so there's two distinctions here. Well, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now remember, what we're looking for is a linking phrase. A phrase that actually links very carefully. But we're also looking for the, con- the context, the proper context. Are we looking for something that distinguishes something that's in the flesh to something that's in the spirit? Okay, to a life that's walked that way. Galatians chapter 5, um, and we'll go from verse 16. Verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lusts of the flesh. Okay, so all of a sudden we seem to have found that phrase. Let's go on. It says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, we just finished reading chapter 7. Remember chapter 7? The end of chapter 7, the last part of chapter 7, what was Paul's struggle? What was the battle that he was speaking about? He was speaking about doing things contrary to his will. Remember? He was saying, that which I would, I do not, but that which I do, I would not. And he's, he's talking about what a wretched man I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why? Because there's a battle going on. What's the battle? The battle is this one. It's the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Interesting. What a, what a link. So we've got a phrase. We've got an interesting context that links us to verse seven, uh, to chapter 7 of the book of Romans. But have a look at verse 18. Now it gives an interesting description. It says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What are the works of the flesh? Did we get a specific answer? We're wanting to know what the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit are, and here we have the answer in Galatians, and it gives us the specifics. Gives us the specifics. But we also need to recognise that there's a nature in those that are born again, those who walk after the Spirit. Does Galatians provide us an answer for what that fruit is? What's the fruit of those that walk after the Spirit? Keep reading. Verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's descriptive. It's descriptive. See, as Christians, we will tend to fall. 
And we will tend to do the things of the flesh. Why? Because the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We tend to do the things that are contrary to our will. Okay? We don't naturally fall into it because that's not our desire. Our desire is this. Our desire is to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That's our desire. We, we love the law of God and the word of God. Now, those that are in the flesh don't have that desire at all. They speak of it. They speak of it. But they don't actually have that desire. Their natural tendency are all the other things that we spoke of in Galatians there in chapter 5. So, just a point here, just a point here to make sure that you understand something. This isn't a passage that gives any one of us the right to judge the heart of another individual should they be in a difficult place within their walk. We, we, we can't judge one another this way. Okay, um, each person to his own master will stand or fall. Our job is to have that love and that grace to understand that we all do fall. Okay, and we all struggle with our own with our own wrestlings. The passage, however, is vital. It's vital for this one thing. It's vital for your own personal examination. It's vital for your own personal examination. You have to examine yourselves, guys. You have to know whether or not you're in the faith. You have to know whether or not this no condemnation applies to you. Because if you don't know, then there's a, there's a real problem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. If Christ is not in you, you're a reprobate, according to Scripture. You know, guys, in, in, light, of, in light of Matthew chapter 7, it's clear that many people are going to be professing Christ and they're not going to be known of Him. Many. It doesn't speak of some. It says, many will come to me in that day. Many. God is less concerned about your temporary and present comfort than he is about your eternal peace. You know, I've, I've had, when I've, when I've taught this in, um, in, uh, in a Bible study at home many, many years ago, I remember a, a young man saying, oh, but we're not supposed to be questioning our salvation. You know, you're making me feel uncomfortable. And it's... <sighs> I, I know how he feels. I can understand that, you know. But I had to tell him, I, if, if I was concerned about fluffing your pillow and helping you be a little bit more comfortable now and then you discover yourself at the gates of hell at death, what benefit have I been to you? I can't be concerned about that. My, my concern is your eternity. I'm not concerned about your present comfort. You know, your present comfort will be a blessing, but your, your present comfort will only be in the hands of the Prince of Peace. It's only Him that will give you that wonderful peace. You must know that you're in the faith. And that text that we looked at in Galatians chapter 5 is an interesting picture. It's a good picture to know where we stand. The second point here 
is that the law of the spirit of life emancipates man. Have a look at verse 2 in in Romans chapter 8. It says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You'll note that Paul is speaking here in the first person singular. right? He says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. This is where we need to remember that link back to chapter 7. Remember? That link back to them when he was speaking about himself. The things that I would, I do not. And yet, because we can all relate to it as Christians, we know the struggle that Paul has is the struggle that we have. Therefore, we can apply this text to ourselves. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me, Eddie, free from the law of sin and death. It refers to all of us who are born again, all of us who have that Spirit of God within us. All of us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Laws. Chapter 7, which we looked at before, has been known as, um, it's been framed as law school. Law school. Chapter 7 has been known as law school. Why is it referred to as law school? Um, The word law turns up in all of Paul's epistles, the 13 to 14 of them, 135 times. One-fifth of those times appears in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. One-fifth of all those times. So it mentions the law, it speaks about the law, it speaks clearly about the law. The simplest and probably most accurate definition of law that I saw was in the Oxford English Dictionary and it said, law is something regarded as having binding force or effect. Right? It's something that has a binding force or effect. It makes sense? That's what a law is. That's what a law is. But what's interesting about this is, even though the most typical understanding about a law is that which binds, there's something very different about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Can you see what it is? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Free. Laws bind. Here we have a law that emancipates, that makes us free. You never would have thought of that, you know. Everybody thinks when when you're talking about Christianity, you're like, oh, mate, no, no, I'm, I'm free of that. No, you're not. You're not free. You're not free at all. You're a slave to sin, number one. You need to be made free. And the only way to be made free is by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the law. What is that law? It was funny, you know, Pastor Frank was up here before and, um, and mentioned about grace. And all of a sudden it just hit me, that's the law. That's the law. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace that set us free. It's His grace. We believe upon Him, what He's done. Rather than bind man, it sets him free. The active effect of this law emancipates from the law of sin and death. That is, obtaining the one has the effect of setting us free from the other by making us free. Have a look, it says, hath made me free. That's another point that's really interesting. That's another point that I never thought about before. That it's not just leaving one law and joining to another law, like going from one country that has one string of laws and saying, mate, I'm bailing, I'm getting out of here, I'm going to go to this other country that doesn't have those same laws but other laws. It's not like that. This one has an active effect. It actually in itself makes us free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
It makes us free from that which binds. This law has the providential effect of freeing us from the other. Like the very shining of the sun has the natural effect of taking away the darkness, so too the spirit of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has the providential effect of freeing us from the law of sin and death. One takes away the other. But it's not only that either. It's, it's also not something that just, that only disannuls a previous law. Okay, like, like the Emancipation Act in the United States and the UK about the freeing of the slaves. Okay, it's not just a law that emancipates, that, that, just, that just takes away the other. It does something else. It fulfills the other. It fulfills the other. Have a look at the text again. It says in verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Remember that Jesus, what Jesus said? He said, think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. He didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill he says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Well, that's incredible. So we've got a law that sets us free on the one hand from the law of sin and death, yet that very same law fulfills that other law, which we understand to be the law of Moses. Remember the purpose of the Mosaic law? What's, what, what was the purpose of that law? Can anyone remember what, what, what's, what's the purpose of this, this law that we speak about, the law of sin and death? Recall what it was? We spoke about it once again in Romans chapter 3. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Go there and have a look. And that way at least you'll get an understanding of what the purpose of that law is and what it does for us. So when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. At least the Ten Commandments. Romans chapter 3, verses nine, verse 19 and 20 says this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what it's there for. Galatians tells us a similar thought in, in chapter 3 of Galatians. Remember, if you've still got your finger there, you need to flick back over. All right? Keep your thing, three fingers. One, Galatians, Romans, Hebrews. He says in chapter 3, he says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So we're told that the law was weak, respecting the saving of our souls. And it's therefore disannulled by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What a word, dis disannulled. disannulled. It's not my word, it's actually a word that's found in the Bible. It's in Hebrews. So your other finger that was in Hebrews, flick it over and go to chapter 7. Chapter 7 of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a fascinating book. It's like a sister book of Galatians. So when Galatians was written and given by Paul, he was rebuking the Gentiles because they were returning back to the weak and beggarly elements of the law. 
In other words, their desire, like your desire, if, you're, if you are Christ, is to grow in Christ. Your desire is to grow, yeah? But you've got a problem. And the problem that you've got is that you still sin, right? So instead of just growing in your faith in Christ, in what He's done, you've given yourself an incredibly long list of to-dos. That's what you've done. I'm not going to do this, I won't do this, I won't do this, I won't do this, I won't do this, I've got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. If I do all these things, then God will be pleased with me. No, no. It's not you he's pleased with, it's the work of Christ. It's not about you, it's about him. All you have to do is have faith in him. And the problem with the Galatians were that they were struggling also with sin. And what were they doing? They were going back to the law. They were going back to the law. Hebrews is, is a sister book of Galatians, if you will. In other words, Hebrews was speaking about very, very similar issues, but it was addressing it to the Jews. So the Jews were returning back to the ceremonial law, the mosaic law, the sacrificial law. They're returning back to that. Okay? So when you're looking at these two books, Galatians and Hebrews, very, very similar, but just different individuals that were targeted, but dealing with the same issue. And that was a return back to the law. Do you understand? If you've got that, then you've got a really basic, there's so much more to it, but there's a real basic understanding of those two books, which will really help you in your reading of it. So uh, Hebrews chapter 7, if I haven't told you already, have a look at verse 18. 18 and 19. Oh, if this doesn't make it clear for you, I'm not sure what else will. I'm not sure what else will. He says this in verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Sorry, did, the law, did it say that the law made something perfect? Did it? Did the law say um, the law made Eddie Giudetti perfect? No. No, it makes nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. Put your name there. It didn't make you perfect. It won't make you perfect. It can't make you perfect. Why? Because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. That's why. And the last point on this issue is that it's only this law that can make us free. It's only this law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can make me free from the law of sin and death. It's not any law. It's this law. And it's only this law. It's never going to be the law of Eddie. It's never going to be the law of Malcolm Turnbull. It's never going to be the law of Sharia law. It's never going to be the law of the Roman Catholic Church that's going to make you free. None of these will make you free. The only one that will make you free will be the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's the key that unlocks the cage of sin and death. It's the only law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So just a quick review on, just on that point, because I know I covered a lot of ground. So the first one was that the law, that laws naturally bind. Okay, They naturally bind, but the law of the spirit of life emancipates from the bondage. Right, It makes us free from the bondage. So that was the first point. The second point that I, that I addressed here was that it doesn't only set us free, but it makes us free. It's providential. Okay, It does what it's designed to do. It does what it's designed to do. The third issue that I brought up was 
The law of the spirit of life doesn't destroy the law, but it fulfills it. Okay? And the first point, fourth point that I brought up was that only the law of the spirit of life can make us free. Okay? Right, and I'll cover a lot of ground just in that first point, or the second point there. The third point that we've got is the law of the spirit of life liberates man. You can note that it's a law of liberty. Similar to free, but liberation is something that actually is given to us by it's how we live now. It's about how we live now. Only a liberating law can set the condemned free. You were in Galatians before. Have a look at that again. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is making a case again to the, to, the, to the Galatians and he's using as an example his brother Titus. I say his brother, I meant brother in the Lord, Titus. And, and Titus is a Greek. Titus is also a Gentile. Okay? The desire of some of the Galatians was maybe... maybe uh, to make sure that I'm okay with God, maybe I need to do what the Jews do. Maybe I need to circumcise. You know, we need to do that. Right? We need to get back to that. I don't know why they'd even think that, but that's what they were at. You know, they were they were trying to make sure that they were right with God. Paul says this in verse three of chapter two of Galatians. He says, "But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because a false brethren, other unawares, brought in." who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Remember? What are we free from? We're free from bondage. What was the bondage? Well, the bondage was the law of sin and death. In other words, those Ten Commandments that were given to us became our bondage. That became what we were enslaved to. The entire book of Galatians is a correction against the false notion of attending back to the law of sin and death. That's what it's there. That's why it's there. I don't know if you notice this. I mean, um, I've noticed this. I've been part of independent Baptist churches for eight years, I think. Eight years I've been here, roughly. And it's been fascinating visiting other churches. And you actually find something happens. See, if you don't understand this... If you don't understand the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus, that, the, that, our, that it's the grace of God that leads us to repentance, and we can have that joy that we sung about before, happy, every day, you know. If you don't understand that, you're going to find yourself legalistic. You're going to find yourself trying to obey the law. And I've seen that in a number of the Baptist churches. Matter of fact, it's not just in Baptist churches, it's also found in Pentecostal churches, which is what we came out of. There's a lot of uh, licentiousness there. They go mostly to the other extreme. But they still will look at you and say, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, and you're not ticking the boxes. You know, We've got a list. We've got a list of boxes that we want you to tick, and you're not ticking those boxes. And we see that a lot, and I've seen that a lot in, uh, in a number of independent Baptist churches. There is a... There's almost a, uh, a certain degree of oppression there because there is a way we need to dress. Notice I have a tie and a shirt on. Mine's, mine's blue. That is more godly than a patterned one, you know, that I've seen around. Royal blue. Jesus wore a blue tie, you know. So, and you notice I also have a beard. Now, I'm sorry, but if you have a beard, boast not. Mine has multiple colours. <laughs> And therefore shows a great deal more maturity. 
Okay, so you understand the problem here? Once you're comparing yourselves among yourselves, you are not doing anything that God wants you to be doing. We are to grow in love toward one another, growing in grace toward one another, forgiving one another, rejoicing and knowing that I fall. I still do things that I don't want to be doing. I have nothing in me that I can be pointing the finger at anybody else. I can't. I've tried. I've tried to dispel my sin on someone else. Okay? Usually it's the first member of my family that when I see when I walk in the door. You know? Sometimes it's the cat. Poor cat. Anyway, you understand? You know, when we sin, when we fall... And this is another thing, that's, and it's not nothing to do with the text here, but this is something that we tend to do. When we fall, when we sin, we're so grieved with our own sin that we are very, very, very quick to point out the faults in others. Please recognise that, okay? You all do it. I know you all do it because I do it, okay? But when you recognise you're doing that, you will have a lot more patience with other people only because you need that patience with yourself, okay? This is not how we grow. We don't grow ticking boxes. You want to tick a box? This is the box. If you want to look at uh, uh, a list, then I only have two, and that is do have faith in Christ and don't lose faith in Christ. They're really your only two. That's what we need to be growing in, in Him See, he was the one that established that rest that we have to rest in. There was a rest appointed to the people of God. That's his rest. We rest in what he's done, not what we can do. That's that freedom. That's that liberty that we have. Not a freedom to sin, a freedom from sin, remember? We're free from sin. Turn forward to um, Galatians again. Um, Third chapter, chapter 3. We, we touched on chapter 2 where Paul was already speaking about this. Now he's sort of really slapping him a little bit in chapter 3. In the first verse you'll see it where he says really clearly, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Do you see what he's saying? You begun by faith. You were saved by faith. What are you going to do now? Are you going to now go ahead and start ticking boxes? Is that what you're going to be doing? You begun by faith. You grow by faith. Guys, I am definitely, definitely no better than anybody else that's sitting here. 100%. I still struggle with the same things that I struggle with. But what do I do? I do what Paul teaches here. He says, I leave those things that are behind. And I move forward to that great prize and the high calling of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's where I'm working towards. So we move forward. We grow in our love for the Lord. He asks this. He says, he says 
doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What do you think the answer is going to be? Hearing of faith, yeah? You're still in Galatians. Move forward. You're still in chapter 3, just a few verses more forward. Verse 10. He says this, regarding the law again. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Clearly then, if the curse of one law is unable to liberate us, but Christ redeemed us from that same curse by being made a curse for us, then only the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus can set us free. It's only that law that can set us free. And that's the law that we rejoice in. Paul summarises his thought in the fifth chapter of Galatians. Go move forward to the fifth chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians. Chapter 5 of Galatians, very first verse. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage? It's the law of sin and death. Verse 2, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Why would we again seek to be bound by a law that does nothing more than curse and condemn? Can we truly live in the law of sin and death? Can you live in the law of sin and death? Can the law that kills give us life? Can the law that does nothing more than condemn us justify us? No. Clearly then the law that condemns us to prison cannot also be the same law that liberates us to life. Brethren, we're set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that we might live in that liberty for which Christ hath made us free. That's what it's there for. It's a law that made me free. Fourth point, the law of the spirit of life satiates God. In other words, it, it satisfies the fulfilment of the law of sin and death. Have a look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 8. If you've moved over, please turn back there. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned Sin in the flesh. Interesting use. You see, interesting uh, word. Paul, Paul uses the word weak. Uh, he does it again in Galatians. Um, again, we're back in Galatians. I'll, I'll just read this verse for you. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God. Really important, that one? Really important, that one? Okay. After you have known God, and then he qualifies it. He says, or rather are known of God. He does this again elsewhere. What does that remind us of? Matthew chapter 7. 
Have we not done this, 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 this in your name? What does he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. You need to be known of God. It's one thing to know God. It is completely, eternally significant to be known of God. He needs to know you. Is your name found written in the book of life? That's the ultimate question. If there's a question that you need to be asking yourself today, that's it. That's it. He says, but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? What's, what are we set free from? We're set free from bondage. That's why you have freedom. You have freedom from a bondage. Okay? What was the weak and beggarly elements? That was the law from which we are freed. That was the law. Hebrews, please, turn in your, book of, to, your Bible to the book of Hebrews. And this is a more clear passage, right? It dispels any thought that the law can make us perfect. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10 is where you want to go. Hebrews chapter 10. Remember what I mentioned to you before about Hebrews is sort of like a sister, sister book of Galatians, so it'll help sort of keep it into context. I listen to as, a, as, the, as the author here explains the law as a shadow of good things to come. To bring us to an understanding of the very purpose of the law of Moses that points to Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, uh, sorry, sorry, not verse 10, verse 1, verse 1 of chapter 10. Apologies, don't mean to confuse you. He says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so if, if the sacrificing of bulls and of goats and of all those things have the ability to be able to purge our sin, to take away our sin, then why is there a continual remembrance of those things? If it's taken away, it's taken away, isn't it? It should be gone. But it's not here. There's a continual remembrance of those th- things. Verse 3 says... But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. God didn't take any pleasure in the sacrifices and the offerings of our own goodness and our observations of the specific purpose of making ourselves acceptable to God apart from Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It's about his righteousness, his fulfilment of the law, his salvation and his grace. It's all about Jesus. That's not about us. I might have mentioned to you that before. It's not about you. Have I mentioned that before? I've mentioned that before, yeah? This I'll remind you, it's not about you. You'll look carefully at the next verse here. We're still in Hebrews. Have a look at verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which 
will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How exciting is that? The offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, His body was offered as the sacrifice acceptable unto God. That was what the picture, the shadow of things to come in the Old Testament of the offering of the bulls and goats and everything, that was a picture of the offerings of Christ, of His body, a body that has prepared me. It's His body that was offered as a sacrifice. That's why He is a ransom for our sins. Do you believe it? Do you believe? You know, if you just said yes in your heart, if you believe that Jesus Christ offered himself for your sins, you're saved. Do you believe that in your heart? That's the gospel. How often our thoughts lead us to think it's about us. Paul struggled with doing that which he did not will to do. He wrestled with sin. His flesh lusted against his spirit and his spirit against his flesh so that he couldn't do that which he would. But never did he think that the following of the law of sin and death would help him. He never thought that. I know of brothers and sisters who continually condemn themselves for their sin. And... It's not that we shouldn't be repentant of the things that we do. We are to be that. We are to be repentant. But we need to live a life glorifying God and recognising what He's done for us. We seek His forgiveness for our sins. That's why we examine ourselves. That's why we examine ourselves here when we do communion like we did today. We, we, we should be as King David. Lord, search me. And find any wicked way in me. We should get to the point that we want to bring out absolutely everything. Yes, yes, all the dross. All the things that you think are below the surface that no one else sees. Yes, the pride. Yes, the stupid comments that you say to someone from time to time. Yes, we need to bring that up. We need to be testing our motivations for when we say what we say, when we do what we do. Yes, we need to do all of that. There's not a question. But you see, it's Christ that's purged us. We are motivated by holy living because of what He's done. That's what motivates us to holy living. You know? It's not what we can do. It's a law that made me free. It's a law that made me free. The last point. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled. In verse 4 of Romans chapter 8 it says this. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. As Christians wrestling daily with sin, the answer is to know and recall that we have been made free from the law of sin and death. Never again to return to the weak and beggarly elements of the law of sin and death. These things will just keep us in bondage. And were a shadow of things to come. And it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything was fulfilled in Him. The promise of God could not be sure if it was subject to the law of sin and death. If you're in Romans, turn back four chapters. Go to chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. 
You might be able to understand why the promise of God, the eternal security that we, that we boast of, we speak about being eternally secure in Christ. That that salvation, that grace that saved us, is the same grace that will sustain us. That's why we have hope and that's why we rejoice in the Lord and that's what motivates us to holy living. It motivates us, not by a whip. You know, we had a wonderful time, Pastor Frank and I, a couple of years ago, speaking to some Muslim uh, gentlemen. And, and when we explained to them the gospel, you know, you could see that they understood it. You know why? Because they said the same thing. They said, what stops you from sinning? As soon as we heard that, we, we realised they got it. They understand the gospel. They understand the gospel. And then we had the blessed time of being able to share with them the love. The love that's been given to us is a love that we want to return back to the Lord. That's our desire. Because the promise is of God. It's a promise. It can't be conditional. If it's conditional, it's not a promise. Does that make sense? When you, when you, if you're married, when you make that commitment to your, to your spouse and you said, I do, was that I do conditional upon anything? Well, really, no. I mean, you promised to love, to, uh, to, to trust until death do you part. You, the promise wasn't conditional, you know. Otherwise, it's not really a promise, is it? You know, it's like the book that I heard about a while ago called Conditional Security. Conditional Security. Okay. That's a contradiction in terms, but anyway. Have a look there in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 of Romans, verse 14. It says this. Again, to make it clear, please, this is the text speaking. This isn't me. This is the text. It says, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace... To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Our walk and our joy is in him, not in ourselves. We, to God, have nothing to offer but the giving of thanks and a life dedicated to work of Christ, to the work of Christ on earth, that all might have the hope that we share. Our walk... Our walk after the Spirit is a walk that should be evident to those around us. It should be evident. It should be able to be seen by those around us. If it's not seen, if it's not evident, what was Peter talking about when he said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why would anybody ask you for the hope that is in you if you're... Not demonstrating it. Please explain that to me because I don't know how else that can happen. How else can someone ask you for the hope if there is no walk according to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? If you're not walking in hope and if you're not walking in joy, if you're not experiencing that wonderful peace of God when you're going through those trials and those tribulations whether it's a financial burden that you have, whether it's a family issue that you have, whether it's a health problem that you have, if you don't still have that wonderful hope and that's eminent and it's evident to all the people around you, why would they ask you? 
And why would Peter even suggest that there is a hope that can emanate from us if there wasn't one? We need to rejoice in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's the question that we need to ask. That's the answer to the question we need to ask. How shall we live? It's my last thought on this. We looked at three main books. We looked at Romans, we looked at Galatians, we looked at Hebrews. Question on how we should live, and the answer is that the just shall live by faith. That phrase is found in three books of the Bible in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. It's found in Romans, chapter 1, verse 17. It's found in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 11. And it's found in Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 38. It's not a coincidence that the same passage that shows us how to live is found in these three books, which also demonstrate how not to live. It's not a coincidence. We live by faith. You are saved by faith. We live by faith. And just shall live by faith. Let's pray. My Lord, there's a, um, there's a life, dear Father, that is set for us to live in. There's a life, dear Lord, that's set that we might rejoice and we might glorify God within our lives. Father, there is a world, dear Lord, who is, that is in despair and there are people in despair. People that are grieving their lot, grieving their lives, living without hope. And we, Father, are your children, dear Lord, who have hope. And, Father, that we would live it, that we would trust in your words, that we would spend our time with you in prayer, that we would seek your face, dear Father, every day for our lives, that we would rejoice in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, not as some distant, eminent feeling, but a knowledge of what you have done for us, dear Lord. Inspire us, dear Father, to live for you, dear Lord. Help us read your book every day. Help us trust in your word, dear Lord. And I pray, dear Father, if there's any here, dear Lord, who are yet to be known of you, that they would believe. That they would believe, even now as they sit there, that they would believe that Jesus Christ was made a sacrifice for their sins and that they would have eternal life. And that they would be forgiven, perfectly, completely, forgiven for now and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.